Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm Chesney. And this is a show where we watch Revolutionary Girl Utena and review it. It is episode 28, Whispers in the Dark. Uh, so now we finally come back around to some more of the uh, jury and shiori nonsense. And in this case, we have Ruka joining. Ironically, there was not a lot of whispering or darkness about this episode. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of hooking up, but... <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of hooking up. Not a lot of, like, whispering in secret or in the dark, really. There's only one scene that took place at night. Nope! There's multiple that took place at nighttime. Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll take that back. Never mind. All right, we had some darkness. <laughs> Yeah, we had a lot of late night liaisons in this episode. Uh, so we open with a shot of like these arches that I don't know that we've seen in the show before. No. As somebody who has seen the movie, these remind me a whole lot of the movie architecture of Otori Academy, more so than the show. So this is like the first time that we're seeing some of that like style creep where the stuff from the show that leads into some of the stuff from the movie starts to make an appearance and i know that this means absolutely nothing to you chesney but like these arches are very different in style from the rest of atori academy but they fit perfectly in movie atori so it's interesting okay. that they make an appearance here it's pretty it's also um fucking hilarious to me that Otori Academy is magically smack dab in the middle between uh, an ocean and a forest. We we got both terrains here. <laughs> <laughs> They're working with multiple Pokemon types here at Otori Academy. Yeah, this episode seems to have a lot going on with like the like polymorphic nature of the campus. Because we have some, like I said, uh, we have some architecture that we haven't seen before. And like you said, we have a very curiously nearby ocean. Now, granted, there is nowhere in Japan that you can go that the ocean is that far away from. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, if you're in the heart of Japan, like Kyoto, you're still only a matter of hours away from the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> you get up on a mountain and you can still see it, you know? So with that grain of salt, we still have a very curiously nearby shoreline in some of the, the fencing practice duels that happen. Um, but yes, this, this episode is all about fencing because it is jury and the former fencing captain Ruka. And so it opens with the fencing uh, club room where Jury is dueling somebody and it's intercut with these shots of a boy with blue hair uh, approaching his locker. And we find out this is Ruka. Ruka shows up at the fencing club and just before Mickey steps in to duel Jury as like the next contender, uh, he cuts in on Mickey and says, actually, I got next. Sorry. And he proceeds to just barely beat Jury, at least according to Utena and Anthe, because like they say that he's just slightly faster than her. Yeah, I don't, 
I don't buy it. (laughs) (laughs) As far as I'm concerned, they uh, hit each other at the same time. Also, it kind of like hurt me a little inside to see Mickey just so easily give up like, oh, yeah, dude, it's it's totally your next. Yeah. I'm like, dude, stand up for yourself, please. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that they both have blue hair. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at the way that the that the duelists match up by color, you have the two kendo uh, fighters, the two who use katanas are Toga and Sionji. Mm-hmm. And they are red and green. They are opposite colors. Jury is orange. So we have two different shades of blue countering her. And both are fencers. And so, of course, if he's going to be going up against Jury in this way, if he's going to be a foil to Jury, he's going to be a fencer and he's going to have blue hair. Yeah. <laughs> and the way that he is older, he's an upperclassman. Yep. Uh, he's the former captain. Yeah, he just completely replaces Mickey in this moment. Yeah. He is like the OG blue-haired duelist of Otori Academy. Mickey is the like young upstart. And we find <laughs> we find that out in this moment where like Ruka just shows up and steals Mickey's lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Jury even acknowledges him as captain still. Like when they uh, both hit each other and there's a pause and then they both pull back and she goes, I thought it was still you, captain. She doesn't call him by his first name. Like there's still like she respects the hierarchy in their class um, there. Yeah, and in a later scene, she still tries to acknowledge him as the rightful captain of the club. Yeah. Uh, So, like, the very next scene is the student council, and Jury's explaining who he is, uh, basically to Nanami. Uh, I think Mickey already knew. But uh, she says, like, she corrects him and is like, I was just filling in for him. And so she's really not owning her power at all in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, because she, like that position was rightfully hers either way. Plus, there was no like, my understanding of it is there was no, oh, hey, guys. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm sick. So I'm just gonna be gone for a while. Um, jury can take care of things while I'm gone. It was dude straight up left transferred to another school. So as far as anything was concerned, Jury was the new rightful captain. Well, I think other schools might be putting it a little, be, it might be a little much. Uh, Didn't I'm he transfer sure it was like a, I thought it was a hospital. He's been oh, sick. <laughs> yeah, but I thought he, I thought in the first episode with Shiori, I thought both Shiori and Ruka transferred to like different schools or something. Oh, so... Interestingly enough, um, this was pointed out by somebody in uh, an email a few episodes back. Oh, okay. Um, They pointed out that, like, that boy wasn't Ruka. I've been, like, all these years, in all my viewings of this show, I have just been assuming that that kid was Ruka and just missing the clues that actually he's not. (laughs) 
Oh, um, okay. So, like in the early episodes of the podcast, I was calling him Ruka. He, that's not Ruka. Um, clearly, Shiori and Ruka meet for the first time in this episode. So, okay, I have another question. Then is he okay? <laughs> Does Shiori like think that Ruka is the is that guy, or like was this just like a ploy? Was this just a ploy to like ultimately hurt Jury? I feel like it was, but like Shiori's, what I'm trying to Shiori's sexuality is whoever Jury is into today. <laughs> Shiori's sexuality is a weapon. <laughs> it's just a knife. Like you, <laughs> she t- <laughs> Shiori uh, looks at her like set of daggers on the wall and is like, "Yep." There it is. There's my sexuality, you guys. It's just knife. Specifically in the back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> but... Back knife. <laughs> She's back knife sexual. That's, that's... <laughs> oh my god. That did not deserve <sighs> that laugh. I, I don't get you. <laughs> <laughs> no. I just, my brain took it and ran with it, and I don't want to say what I came up with next. So I simply <laughs> won't. <laughs> oh, especially because these characters are minors. So I will push that to the side. No, but the question that I am trying to ask is Is Ruka like assuming the position of this guy that Shiori used to have a relationship with? Or. Is he just like the fresh new bod at school that Shiori's like, yep, I'm going to use this one as an example to hurt Jury more? Well, I, th- I think this is a really interesting moment where both Shiori and Ruka realize that by getting together, they can hurt Jury and both want that. <laughs> God. So <laughs> like, he is also back knife sexual or whatever. <laughs> and so throughout this episode jury keeps asking ruka like what the fuck are you doing here what do you want why are you dueling and he never answers in this episode yeah um that's gonna be pushed off into the to be continued i guess like we don't get an answer to that in this episode and so why he has it out for jury is still a mystery Honestly, why Shiori has it out for Jury is still kind of a mystery. Like, the shit she says in the elevator in the the Black Rose saga, Mm -hmm. that is some petty-ass shit. Like, (laughs) the fact that she's going full (laughs) scorched earth on Jury every opportunity she gets over what? She was a little cooler than you in in elementary school? Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, um, she was a little cooler than her. And also, um, how dare I be like attracted to you in some way? And so I'm just going to take that out on both of us, but mostly you, really. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's all of the, you know, bisexual feelings and self-loathing wrapped up in that. <laughs> yeah. Internalized homophobia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, honestly... Somehow, and I don't know how, but somehow my brain was like, again, I thought the 
the two were one and the same, Ruka and the guy that Shiori initially got with to her jury. In years my ago. defense, they kind of are the same person. <laughs> you know, they, they fill the same role. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and my bra- my brain was like, so um, did the school slash Akio slash Anthe just like make a like a carbon copy of that guy? Like they just took a little piece of paper and uh you know scraped over it with charcoal and we're like yeah that looks that looks about right and then just plopped him in place and expected like that to be <laughs> i guess this is one of my tinfoil hat conspiracies for the episode it's but, like, like lex luther like cl- uh cloning superman <laughs> yes <laughs> i was like uh so they just like plopped this dude in like i don't know with, maybe he with protagonist hair this time exactly like maybe I don't know something <laughs> they gave him the protagonist hair to stand out and like the duelist ring to fucking do something. Um, but yeah, that's, that's why also why I was confused because my brain was like, but what if this happened? And I was like, that's probably not it. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably not it, but just, you know, pure tinfoil hat conspiracy uh, madness that I had to share here. Yeah. So in the student council meeting, uh, jury is updating them on Ruka being back. And for this one, the visual metaphor is them being at a restaurant, except there's no food on the plates. No, one, they're just eating like paper. I don't even know if they're eating the paper. Like at one point we hear Nanami's teeth grinding. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're mimicking eating, but they're not actually eating anything. And I thought so, she was chewing on a report card. I actually don't know what that piece of paper was. Like, it looks like an American uh, grade report, but like, I don't know if that's what that is in Japan. Like, I don't know if that's like a a letter on school letterhead or something. Like, yeah. is, is this what the letters from the end of the world look like? I would love to see a zoomed <laughs> in, a, a zoomed in like shot of this translated. This like, I, don't know if, I don't know if it like the I don't know if the characters are clear enough to translate it, but like I would love to know what that letter said. I'm fucking losing my mind over here because this whole time they're like, who's the end of the world? And this whole time, fucking Akio's been like typing up report cards as the chairman of the school and sending it to them on the fucking school letterhead. <laughs> <laughs> It's got his name in like four <laughs> places on it. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, okay. He just signs it end of the world, but like his name is at, at the top. It's in like the return address. It's underneath the signature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very clearly on the memo somewhere. <sighs> okay. And and so Ruka shows up at the meeting. Because apparently he is also a student council member. I mean, he had the uniform that marked him as a student council member. But like, now we finally see him in it. And it's revealed like, oh, yeah, he's one of us. Um, Okay. He's got a duelist ring. And he's allowed in the student council chamber. And so... Yeah, that was the part that threw me off the most because I was like, how the hell did this regular schmo just show up 
this <laughs> regular decular ass dude with this ridiculous hair just showed up and was like, yeah, I got up here. The end of the world thinks you're shit, by the way. <laughs> yeah, he says that the end of the world called them all cowards. <laughs> it's like, who are you, man? Where have you been for the last 28 episodes? Apparently sick. So, I mean, there's that. I don't believe it. <laughs> so he says that the end of the world called them all cowards. And then when they ask him what he's going to do now that he's back, he says, you know what? I'm just going to live a normal student life. Maybe hit on some underclassmen, just like cruise the school. I'm not getting involved in the dueling. And of course, like famous last words, right? Like uh-huh. this is one of those parallels to Mickey of the, of him protesting, not planning to duel at the very beginning, only to get drawn into it. Except in this case, it's pretty clear he's lying. Like, yeah, <laughs> his intention from the start, um, while it may not have been to duel, it was definitely to fuck with jury and the opportunity to beat Utena would definitely qualify as a way to fuck with jury. Yeah. Yeah, kind of bizarre that this dude has it out for her this strongly, but yeah, I guess that is for next episode for us, me to find out. And so the next scene, we cut to Ruka cruising the school. He's coaching somebody on fencing the same way that like guys in a bar will use the opportunity to teach a woman pool to like get up on them. Yeah. He is fully wrapped around this girl, moving f- her hands for her, and she is, like, blushing her way out of her skin. And they have, like, quite an audience watching them do this in the duel- well, not the dueling arena, but the, like, fencing, the fencing club. club. Yeah. yeah. Including the- Shiori. Yeah, and Jury, who's apparently gonna duel this girl. <laughs> <laughs> See, if you're not in the dueling arena, it's just a fight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I think what's interesting about this is that, like, the entire stands, you know, the the balcony area above the fight ring, I don't know what you call a fencing spot, um, is filled with fangirls who are freaking out over what Ruka is, like, helping this girl do, like, positioning her and blah, blah, blah. Um, basically being sleazy and they're just like eating it up and Shiori is like kind of deadpan watching him and taking it all in so I guess that is the moment that she like made him her target was in my mind because she's like assessing the whole situation seeing him face off against jury and is like yep There's my meal ticket right there. Yeah. So this next scene that happens is Shiori at Ruka's locker. And this is the scene that Ashley, who wrote in to us uh, like eight episodes ago, this is the scene that she pointed out that shows that uh, this is actually their first time meeting. And so it wasn't Ruka in the past because this whole charade with the sword and all of that only works if they didn't know each other before. 
Because like they don't call each other by name when they see each other. There is no sign of recognition of the two of them. Um, instead, she's at his locker and he walks up and surprises her and his sword falls out of the locker and she clutches it like it's precious to her. And this brilliant dance ensues where he immediately catches onto this and says, oh, it was you, wasn't it? Somebody polished my sword every day while I was gone. Wasn't it you? And she immediately replies that she just wanted to help him, so she polished it every day. Both of these people are lying so hard, but only one of them knows what's really going on. I they love are, this moment. Yeah, they are facing each other in a fucking 5D chess match. <laughs> like <laughs> It's wild to witness. And, like This goes with my original Shiori theory of... Everything Shiori says, she believes it when she's saying it. Never mind that it is absolutely not true. Shiori has an unparalleled talent for speaking with utter sincerity, even when she is lying. That's some of the wildest shit ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Th that's like... That's some psychopath shit right there. <laughs> yeah, like, that's a level of delusional... Um, that I cannot even comprehend on any level. <laughs> like, believing the lies that you say so much so that you not even just say it with conviction, but believe it yourself is like a crazy talent that no one should have. <laughs> Shiori has a bright future in the extremist wing of the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean, seriously. She could make so much money, like, grifting on YouTube. <laughs> For real. <laughs> running, uh, running scam. Um. <laughs> so, Shiori All Grown Up is running scam uh, GoFundMes. <laughs> um, if you've ever sh seen what we do in the shadows, um, Shiori is the uh, female counterpart to Colin Robinson, uh, <laughs> the energy vampire who yeah. like manipulates people um, uh, off of their and then feeds off of their emotions, um, but she doesn't in like the most horrible ways of like, oh my god, my cat's gonna have his like 29th surgery to try to remove the cancer for the final time, and it's just like milking it to get people to cry and like <laughs> give her things. <laughs> Like, that is Shiori, all grown up. I hate that I can't remember that character's name right now, but that's her. <laughs> oh, man. She is a terror. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> She's absolutely, like, no wonder Jury has this, like, oh, I love her, but also, low-key, I'm scared of her, because, like, who wouldn't be? Like, that's the rational part of your brain, Jury, speaking to you, that's like, hey, this girl's really fucking scary. <laughs> I mean, what does it say about Jury's history that she can only fall in love if she's a little afraid? Oh, man. I don't even know if I want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jury. She's had it rough enough this episode. <laughs> I don't think we need to psychoanalyze her. <laughs> so uh, Ruka pulls her in for a kiss. 
and we don't see the kiss. It cuts away to the tower and a spinning rose. So a phallic and a yonic symbol on screen while a bell tolls while they kiss. It Uh is not subtle. You cannot tell me that that is somehow less sexual than just seeing the kiss. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, and then the other piece of this is that, like, it's a... I don't see it as a pure white rose. Maybe in the, like, kiss moment, but in the next scene where there's, like, a rose border around them um, for a bit, it looks kind of off-white. It doesn't look quite white enough and maybe that's just i don't know maybe that's just me but um it is still a like presenting itself as a white rose and anytime i see this happen i call it like whoever is experiencing this is having their prince moment oh yeah yeah that's the prince's rose color yeah that's their prince moment so that was shiori's which is hilarious because um it's a lie and she knows it's a lie, but she still believes it with all of her heart. So it's a prince moment for her, <laughs> <laughs> which is wild again. Um, and then somebody even comments like in the next scene where it's like basically a transition scene where there's again, a rose border around the two of them as they walk into campus. And at first it's like kind of white. And then, um, it turns to a red rose after, which is interesting, like when they go into the school. But um, somebody comments, wow, she didn't waste any time going after Ruka. <laughs> <laughs> which, no, no listener. No, she did not. So we get like a scene of gossip going on um, about Ruka and Shiori. And so we're hearing the conversation of other girls at school talking about the two of them. and. Jury is standing in like a hallway and just watches the two of them walk by hand in hand. And they don't give her a ounce of attention. They oh. they wouldn't even notice she was there. Oh, no, 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 no. They knew exactly where she was standing. They yeah. very pointedly did not acknowledge her presence. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Did but not even look her way. Here's the fucked up part you know all of their attention was on her. That's what makes this the pettiest shade of of all, is like, all three of them are completely obsessed with one another. And you can't even say that, like, Jury's the pathetic one here. All of them are pathetic as fuck in the way that they are just so enmeshed with each other. And, like, this isn't serving Shiori. No. She doesn't get what she wants out of this. Well, not not truly, but she does get something. I mean, she gets fucked over at the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah, but her main goal is always to hurt Jury in some way, in some kind of, like, power dynamics struggle type situation. Shiori is very much somebody who would light herself on fire just so she could light Jury on fire. Yeah. Light herself on fire and then like run into Jury's arms and be like, I know you'll catch me. I know you'll catch me and you'll do it and you'll catch yourself on fire. <laughs> and Jury's like, if you wanted to see me on fire, all you had to do was ask. It's for real. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. They're so horrible for each other. <laughs> uh, but uh, so immediately 
uh, Juri asks to speak with Ruka, and we don't see this happen on screen. We just it it goes to black, and we hear her say, "I need to speak with you." And the next scene um, is that same bench and ocean that we saw at the beginning, along um, with those really sharp archways. Yeah, and which look like crossing swords, kind of. So Jury wanted to speak with Ruka. And he says, like, oh, you still remember this place. Like, and the way that he, like, says everything in this episode is so condescending, y'all. Because it's not like, oh, you still remember this place. It's, oh, you still remember this place. (laughs) Like, oh, my God. I can't with this dude. Um, And then they have a flashback uh, where they're both in silhouette. And it's turns out that it, this is where Ruka, for whatever godforsaken reason, taught Jury his fencing moves and taught her to be supposedly as good as she is now. And again, I just don't really understand why somebody who like went to all this length to like mentor and teach her would like torture her in this way now, like you spent all this time being sick and like, this was all you thought about. I don't know. Well, why do you think it might be? I mean, maybe he saw her getting distracted or pulling away or like, maybe she honestly, given jury's disposition, she probably just flat out was like, I'm not interested in you like that. (laughs) And just turned him down. (laughs) Um, cause it's clear that she still has, again, some level of respect for him this is again the scene where she says, I leave the fencing club like leading to you. But yeah, I, I feel like he either saw or felt her like pulling away and got jealous. Um, I don't think he knew it was Shiori necessarily because, or I don't know, maybe he did. It's hard to tell from that like liars interaction <laughs> that the two of them had. <laughs> Where it's like, I don't think Shiori knew him prior to this, but maybe he knew of her. So maybe that's why he went with it. Maybe. So in this moment, she tells him to keep her keep his hands off of uh, Shiori. And he bites back saying, like, you seem to be under the mistaken impression that you can control me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he says, I'm just a regular student. I can fall in love with whoever I want. Mm-hmm. So I guess like my question to you is like, if he was this mentor figure for her before now, what do you think he's after? Because like she says she doesn't know why he's there what or what he's dueling for. What do you think he's dueling for? Well, it really doesn't seem to be anything other than... um jury's attention on some level and then power he came back in full form you know off of his illness but looks and acts great he came back in student council gear well and immediately, he has said he has said that he's not like fully recovered yet yeah but mm, i don't know that i believe that um he came back in his student council gear and immediately went to the council and was like, yeah, I'm here. Deal with it. Um, and then 
also with a duelist ring, knowledge of the end of the world. So this dude has had a taste of power in some way, and I think probably wants to wield it to get her attention, to get her to like him, is what I would have to guess. Because again, like you pointed out, these three are in this horrific, like, triangle of suffering and misery where the <laughs> yeah, it's like the opposite of a love triangle yeah i was gonna say love triangle and then i was like no that's not accurate um where it's like oh this person wants this person uh and then this person wants this person but then this other person like wants this person but also wants like just everybody but especially that one to suffer so yeah but i do think that on some level ruka wants jury and it's why he won't answer when she repeatedly asks because it's either he's already told her before and she wouldn't hear it didn't hear it or rejected him or she just hasn't realized so then we get a scene in the bedroom with anthe and utina one of the rare moments with Utina in this episode, aside from the duel itself, uh, which kind of like points out just how little we've seen these two this episode. Yeah. Uh, she remarks that like this amazing guy has returned. Utina clearly has like a little bit of a crush on Ruka, <laughs> but it never goes anywhere because we don't focus any of our attention on Utina in this episode. And, but like, Anthe asks, you seem concerned. And Utina says, for some reason, my heart is pounding. Like, yeah, that's called a crush. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But there isn't a whole lot there, um, aside from yet more evidence of Utina's bisexuality. Like, a lot of folks point at um, some stuff coming up that is, like, extremely problematic stuff as... Well, if that's the only evidence of her bisexuality, then that's just compulsory heterosexuality, which is like the pressure to be heterosexual. Compat was first identified as something affecting lesbians. Um, but pretty much any woman who is in any way queer faces like that pressure from society. And so there's a lot of that in the discourse around Utana whether she's bi or whether she's a lesbian who was pressured into heterosexuality. Um, This to me stands out as like one of those bits that indicates that Utena is bi. Cause like, unlike with Toga, there's no manipulation here. There's nothing going on between her and Ruka. He's just cute. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he's not after Utna in any way. His attention is completely focused on Juri. So as far as the relationship between Utna and Ruka, there's nothing problematic in the way there. That's just her expressing her feelings. So this is w- one of those moments where I file this under, yes, Utna's bisexual. Got it. Also, this this portion of the episode shows to me the easiness that exists between um, Utena and Anthe right now. The ease in which 
they like go for each other's hands again. Like it's comfortable to them to do these things at night with one another under the brilliant light of the moon and that beautiful stained glass window. And it's like, it's so beautifully romantic. And then the ease and comfort in which they have with each other right now is so sweet to witness. Oh, absolutely. And then right after this scene, we have Shiori running. Um, how do I describe this? Um, almost like how you would see someone like run through a field of flowers. She's running down this like long hallway type thing, but she's running to meet up with Ruka. So that leads into the next thing of Ruka even saying, oh, your heart's racing like a puppy's. Like this really is like puppy love infatuation, if you will. Um, for Shiori. Again, again, even though we all know this is a lie. <laughs> um, and he just goes, shall we go? And then like goes in to kiss her and says, no matter how long the night is, our time together is brief. Which like, what the fuck are you saying, dude? Like, <laughs> I don't know. People speaking in poems has like never really done it for me. So it does it for Shiori, apparently. Um, <laughs> but it just cracks me up. Um, well, why I do guess you think he, he's saying that? Well, I guess he's trying to talk about, like, <sighs> I don't know if it's a commentary of, of, like, young love, or it seems more like our time together is brief because he knows that this is not going to last forever. Like, there's no long game in this for him he doesn't see this as a long-term relationship type thing um he sees it as a means to an end and he probably gathers shiori feels the same okay but then like but what's the point that's i i mentally cannot comprehend that like i guess to them it's worth it but again i'm like if all you're doing is hurting somebody over this like you're not even really enjoying it. You don't even really want to be with this person long-term. Then why are you even doing it? Why indeed. This is one where I know like the clear answer to this. So <laughs> I can't really like weigh in too heavily. <laughs> and I'm you're just fine. loving watching like which hole you are chasing this rabbit down. <laughs> <laughs> Cause like there is like a really clear answer to all of this. Okay. Thank God. Uh, also, I forgot to mention, Jury has somehow, like, tracked them. Because um, she's in her nightgown, right? Yeah, she's watching them in her nightgown. Yeah. And the fountain is, like, a Greek statue of a woman pouring water. Um, the fountain runs dry. And she sees them across the courtyard kissing and they make eye contact her and Ruka. And she's like, he knows, he knows everything. So like she, in this moment, she recognizes that he's doing this to fuck with her. And the only way that that would work is if he knows about Shiori. Yeah. Also just the way that 
he's watching her the entire time out of the corner of his eye. Ugh, so creepy. Oh, yeah, it makes it obvious why he's doing it. It's about her, not Shiori. Yeah. And before we move on, there's one other thing that I want to touch on. Um, So I think most people know that thematically, water and media is associated with emotion. I think it's really interesting that both of these spots that mean something to one of the characters has water there. It's where the emotion is most present. So the scene with the ocean and the bench and the like stiff arches, I can't think of another way to describe it right now, but um, that has a very like heavy, regretful, pensive type emotion tied to it. There's like good memories associated with it, but it's also a place of loneliness because when the, when the episode opens, it's just Jury by herself there, reminiscing. And then the fountain, which I think is interesting that it has a woman holding like a jar that pours out water because that's the sign of Aquarius, even though it's an air sign, um, it's the water bearer. Um, I just think it's really interesting that, again, we have this fountain. So this is another place and scene of all of this emotion um, and the fountain, like the water of it swirls around and around and it it's thematic of just like all of these different emotions for all of them, just like stirring around each other um, and overlapping with one another and just like how chaotic all of their relationships and emotions about each other are. And that's all I want to say about water this episode. <laughs> <laughs> So we get this quick insert shot of Jury clutching her locket and looking at it, uh, looking at the picture of Shiori inside it. Uh, part of this is like to remind the viewer what's in there. Because like, if you remember how shows were broadcast back then, you couldn't just stream this. You couldn't binge things. You just caught whichever episode was on at the time. And so it's conceivable that somebody has missed the context leading up to this episode. So they dropped this shot in to remind us who's in Jury's locket, in which we mean who's in Jury's heart. Mm -hmm. And she goes to Shiori and sees her in class and tries to warn her about Ruka and says, you can't trust him. And Shiori bites back immediately and says, Jury, you are just awful. What I love about this moment is Jury's fucking right. <laughs> yeah, she's just trying to look out for her. Like, she's telling the truth. And the, that's what sucks. And, like, the part that Jury doesn't seem to get is she could be giving the exact same speech to Ruka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, also she did try, but... <laughs> you can't trust her is not what she said. It was just like, stay away from her. She's, yeah. she's my good friend. So then we have a, another scene where Shiori runs to see Ruka, but she even calls out Ruka's name. But this time it's Toga. <laughs> <laughs> the worst surprise ever. <laughs> um, and Toga says, Ruka wants to lead you to a wonderful place, by which he means his pants. Right. 
Like, what a weird wingman setup. Oh, yeah. He wants to take you to a wonderful, fantastical place. Okay. Get out of here. It is super fucked up, but Toga's actually a really solid wingman. Like, he really does his (laughs) job. (laughs) In this case, you don't want him to be as skilled as he is at this. (laughs) Use your powers for good, man, not evil. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And by the way, like, in what scenario (laughs) does someone ever go along with this? You go to meet your, like, new love at night at a fountain, which by the way, like we've already established in the show that the only people that are allowed to be out at night are duelists and anybody else who's caught out late, uh, like gets punished. Like they just aren't supposed to be out late. So she, it's like a forbidden romance type vibe to this whole thing. And instead of your love, you meet this dude who I don't think Shiori's ever had an interaction with Toga before. Uh, and this random guy that you don't know is just like, yeah, um, your boyfriend sent me and he wants to take you to this fantastic place. So why don't you just come with me to a second location where I can fucking murder you? <laughs> like, <laughs> in, Presum- no okay. other, in no other world would this work. <laughs> presumably, when the fountain waters part and we see the car ruka and akio are already in it right like that's what i would assume we don't actually see anyone anyone's faces just because of the way it's shot and the way it's lit but like i'm guessing they're already there so there's no like second location with toga involved here (laughs) (laughs) no but like that's what he was kind of proposing at first before you see the car and so (laughs) i'm like if the car hadn't been there, like if you'd have had to take her somewhere, that would have looked so much more suspicious. <laughs> never and go yeah. with Toga to a second location. No, you absolutely <laughs> never should. He's a fantastic wingman, but he uses his powers for evil. So you cannot trust him. So we get the shot in the car and like the jazz music is playing. Akio is driving and Ruka and Shiori are in the back seat. And Ruka gives this like little speech to her and he says, you're an adult now. Everything can be ours, which look, I don't know the age of majority in Japan. I think it's either 18 or 19, but I fall back on that maxim. If you're worrying about the age of consent, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, But he says, like, you're an adult now and everything can be ours. And that's it. Like, there is no hard sell on this one. They're just fucking in the backseat. Like, we get two moans of ecstasy even. Yep. There is zero ambiguity about what has happened in this scene. Akio just takes them out for a ride and they bone in the backseat. Like, that's it. Yep. Like, it's not even, like, a complicated exploration of their characters in terms of their psychology. Like, we see the arguments happen in the backseat with all the other characters. Not with these two. They just <laughs> they just use the backseat for what teenagers do. <laughs> yeah. It is delightfully straightforward in a very fucked up way. 
<laughs> yeah. I don't mean to say that like teenage sexuality is in all ways fucked up. It's just like, dude, Akio is right there. <laughs> I know. Like, he's driving the car. Like he's in a weird way facilitating this whole thing, which is uh-huh. just, which is just really weird to like think about. It just, yep. <laughs> it, it gives me the ick so bad. Um, <laughs> Because, like, it's one thing when a teenager gets their license and they go off together. And yeah. Like, they're both, like, 16-year-olds or whatever. They go do what they do. Yeah. But the chairman. <laughs> yeah. 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 Is there yep. driving yeah. them. Like, this is like if a teacher takes just two students off off campus for that. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, this goes, like, from shady to illegal very quickly. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, thank God, Akio, you're not participating in this. But, like, the fact that you're even still here, like, you should not be here. You should not be in this picture at all. <laughs> why are you Why are you driving this car and facilitating this whole situation as it unfolds? Well, the good news is that he does have enough decorum to not be driving the car and instead hops up on the, on the hood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just does his usual hop and let whoever, let yeah. God, let Jesus take the wheel. Man. Anyway, we cut to Choo Choo showering under the watering can when uh, Anthea is watering the roses. and Which is just the palate cleanser we needed, by the way, from <laughs> yes <laughs> that weirdness. <laughs> they knew exactly what to follow that scene with. <laughs> yeah. Just cute little choo-choo taking a shower under a watering can. And his little shower cap. <laughs> I know. He's so cute. And so um, so they're talking about roses. Or so choo-choo is blah, 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 blah. So Chuchu is showering under the watering can when Ruka and Shiori just roll up on them. And Ruka starts talking about the roses. And Shiori walks over and just quietly plucks one. And Utena's like, oh, this went from friendly to scary very quickly. We're about to throw down, aren't we? <laughs> like you, yeah. You can see her body tense in that moment. Yeah, because it's not like a delicate motion. When most people pluck a rose, they like hold it gently and then cut it the stem with scissors. Fucking Shiori just reaches her hand up under a rose and like violently pulls it out by the head (laughs) and then gives it to, uh, sorry, Shiori does that and gives it to Ruka. Uh, and she does it without asking too. Like this is not like your domain. This is not your space. You don't even take care of this. Granted, yeah, it's a part of the school, but it's very obviously something Anthe takes care of. So the fact that she doesn't even ask, like Utina immediately takes like a defensive stance against this and is like, "All right, I'm not fucking with this anymore." Well, I would say that like part of what. Anthe does as the Rose Bride is take care of the garden for the dueling game. Yeah. Like she does this as a service to facilitate the dueling game. And since she's plucking a rose to issue a challenge, I think this is like the one time we would 
be able to like totally give her a pass on that. Like she's actually using it for its intended purpose, which is why Utena gets tense. Like she knows what's about to happen. She's like, oh, this went from a friendly conversation to a dual challenge real quick. Yeah. Like this was zero to 60 instantly. Um, And so, yeah, he takes the rose from Shiori and then offers it to Utena and says, I'll see you in the dueling arena. And just like that, we have one of our quickest <laughs> dual challenges ever. And then we have the Shadow Girls. And their whole scene this time is the two of them are on opposite ends of a bridge and are trying to catch a fish. And the first time, one of them catches a shoe. The second time, they catch a kettle. And the third, they catch, like, a tractor tire. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the overall message that I pulled from that is like, you think you're getting one thing, but in reality, you're like getting something that's not even remotely, not even just not what it seems, but it's just flat out not what you wanted or had in mind when you sent out your line. And the only way I can think to apply that to the episode is either a message about Ruka and Shiori are both, and even Jury, are casting out their lines, but they're pulling back something that they don't want, like, because they're fishing for the wrong thing. Yeah, I I think that's exactly it. Like, they are doing everything that they can to, like, find love, but in all the wrong ways of doing it, right? Like... All they're doing is intentionally hurting each other. That's not love. Yeah, or like holding themselves back in some way from love. So like, how how are you going to experience this if you won't admit it to yourself? Right. And then we have one of the most interesting duels in terms of like the conversation between the two duelists. Um. I didn't see anything that had changed, by the way, um, about the duel, like the lead up to the duel, you know, the song, the ascension, um, the gate opening for the car. Right. Uh, I didn't see anything different. Yeah, that was our usual ritual. Yeah. And at the very beginning, Ruka acknowledges Utena has like a strange power that he doesn't understand. And he says, he says he might not beat her. Yeah. Like he just straight up says, Yeah, man, I'm I'm here to fight you, but I don't know if I'm gonna actually win this thing. Yeah, it takes Utena by surprise and she goes, Wow, like this is the first time I've ever heard somebody say that. <laughs> and here again in the duel we have while the two of them are fighting, Ruka and Utena, um, the like challenging duelist bride is driving the car around the ring of the uh, dueling arena. Um, This time, it's just Shiori by herself. Um, I wondered if Anthe was going to join her, but she didn't. I will say the most interesting thing about this duel for me was when Ruka has Utena on the ropes, and he's, like, giving her a, a good fight, a decent fight, Um. And he sees Anthe behind Utena praying. And he goes, oh, now I see. 
And I think he goes to try and hit Anthe. That was my interpretation of that shot also. Yeah. What's interesting is what follows this because I'm trying to rack my brain and think of any other times where Anthe might have been perceived as being in danger during a duel. And if when that happened, the power of Dios was activated suddenly. That was kind of what was going on throughout the Black Rose saga. Okay. Because like the Black Rose duelists were explicitly aiming to kill Anthe. Um, I think Wakaba's probably came the closest. And that was a fight where Utena didn't even draw her sword. Yeah, that's, yeah, that is a good point. Um, but one thing that I want to point out, though, is like Ruka's dueling moves mirror juries. Not just in that they are the fencing moves that the fencers use, but that Ruka throws Utena around the dueling arena the same way that Jury does. Like the same physical movements of how she throws Utena to the ground in her first duel. Yeah. And so we have this clear influence between the two of, you know, Jury getting her signature style from practicing with Ruka. Yeah, and the way that they like the way that they both, Ruka and Juri, like kind of toy with Utena on the dueling arena. Exactly. Like this even the mannerisms, like the way that they like taunt her are very similar. Exactly. Yes. And like he even says, like, come on, I'm barely over my illness. And uh he says, you know, um, you might be easier to beat than I expected. And I do want to take a moment and talk about the dual song. This one is the angel androgynous. And this one is entirely about gender stuff, which mm -hmm. I find it interesting that this dual song is given to Ruka because he's probably the character I associate that with the least, like in terms of like ideas of questioning anything gender wise. Um, Obviously, Utena does with her uniform and her mannerisms being a bokuko. Like, there's that. Toga and Sionji and Mickey all represent very particular kinds of masculinity. And Jury represents a very specific kind of femininity. The same way that, like, Nanami does in a much more, like, authoritarian way. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I feel like Ruka is somebody that we don't get enough of to get why he's given this song. And so I, I want to take like the song itself as a clue about Ruka in terms of like, how does Ruka question masculinity? Like in what way is he toying with the idea of masculinity? And I don't know if we see it in this episode. I, I feel like we get a little taste of it next episode in a very particular way, and I hope I remember to talk about it. Hey, it's Autumn from the future here. Spoiler, I forgot to talk about this next episode, and we just finished recording that one, and I completely blanked on it. So I'm just going to put this in here now. So what I'm referring to here is that in the next episode, Ruka sacrifices himself to become Jury's bride. And so that puts him in that bride role 
the same way that we see with Mamiya and Mikage, where, you know, we have someone whose gender is male that is taking on that role as Rose Bride. Or not necessarily Rose Bride, but Bride. You get what I'm saying there. Since he's the one who's going to draw Jury's sword, he's the one who attends to her when they go up to the dueling arena together. And so that's where I was going with this. Um, that's where those like gender thoughts were coming into play for, for Ruka. Because Chesney hadn't seen it yet, I didn't want to spoil that in this conversation, but she has seen it now. So I'm just going to drop this in here because it makes more sense here than anywhere in next episode. Um, <laughs> but like in this episode, it just kind of seems like Toga light. <laughs> like he seems kind of yeah. like diet toga in the way that he manipulates shiori um i guess like it's not quite manipulation because shiori is totally willing to go along with this game <laughs> yeah um but like yeah like this entire song is about two halves uh the um what is it two heads, two bodies, two insides, two outsides, two breeds, two me's, two fronts, two backs. Um, that part didn't make it into the broadcast, but like that's part of the song that's like on the official um soundtrack, like the full version of the song. Because like not all of all of the songs ever gets played during the duels. Um, but like in this one, it talks about carnal pleasures uh versus restraints um androgyny like i don't necessarily see it with ruka so i'm just curious what your thoughts are the one lyric i noticed with this song is her hermaphroditic or something like that but i don't quite remember the exact wordage but just talking about having two sets of genitals even and i was like um all right okay so we're talking a lot about gender stuff here. <laughs> and yeah, it was I mean, like, that's not the that's still like an accepted term in terms of talking about like the animals. animal kingdom. Yeah. It, it has fallen out of favor very sharply when talking about humans. <laughs> oh yeah. And that's why I was like, huh, hmm, hmm. Okay. But well, in the 90s, hmm. like that would have been uh, a more common word to hear than intersex. Yes. And I thought it was interesting that they also chose this specific moment where um, the power of Dios descends into Utina to do that. So again, it's talking about like two genders existing inside of like one form uh, in a way. As for the how it plays into Ruka, that I also don't know. Because I feel like we really didn't see a lot of that here. I mean, the one line about like carnal pleasures, like Ruka is definitely somebody in this episode that we see at least. Definitely somebody who um, is like raring to go as far as sex goes. Um, I'll just be interested to see how it does, how the gender presentation and exploration piece comes into play next episode. Because I don't feel like we got enough here. Yeah. like It's not even like a clear gender presentation thing. Like It's more just how Ruka is going about what he's doing. 
that is actually very different from Toga, even though like in this episode, I joke that he's Toga light. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I just wanted to like mention that before we wrap up the duel, because the duel ends in glorious fashion with Shiori just like T-boning the wall. <laughs> It's like one of the most horrific endings to a duel that we've seen because you see the expression on Shiori's face as she crashes into the fucking wall of the dueling arena. I got a screenshot of that and posted it to the Twitter saying (laughs) that that is Shiori's only honest reaction ever. (laughs) For real! For real. And like, we see the car crumpled up and... Like, all the cars crash. Like, that's the motif of the duels in this this plot arc. But, like... This one the- was the most graphic and the most realistic. Yeah, for sure. And then, without missing a beat, Shiori looks up at Ruka and says, We'll win next time. <laughs> Why does she... She, like... This is the most anime thing about this show that I've seen so far. Was Shiori just popping up like nothing had happened she's totally fine not harmed at all oh she does not no she does not look like she isn't harmed at all it's just like she immediately puts on that fake smile and is like nope nope it's fine it's fine we'll win next time because she can't look hurt she can't look weak not in front of ruka and not in front of jury Mm. not in front of the world like she has to appear strong even in this moment where she is broken by a car crash. <laughs> and Ruka, despite like the condition that Shiori is clearly in, Ruka is like, nope, I failed because of my bride. There's not going to be a next time. Yeah, just another brutal reaction here. <laughs> there's the brutality of the car crash. And then there's Ruka. <laughs> And she pours it on again, saying, like, he's all she ever cared about. This was all for him. And this is where he chooses to reveal that, you know what? That wasn't my sword in that locker. But you are good at lying. I'll give you that. Yeah. He goes, your performance was amusing. You have a talent for ad libs, meaning making shit up on the spot. Which, okay, here's the thing. He did that too. Yeah. They they created that scene together. It is way off for him to like put this all on her. He was also lying in that scene. What's crazy to me is like, we're like, oh yeah, this isn't a show, but you know, this shit exists out there in the real world. You know, there's two people that are just performing their relationship and it is a lie. Which is the shit that shakes me up the most about this episode because of, again, how well they both perform it. How well they both lie. And especially how well Shiori executes it. That shit is fucking scary. And I will probably have nightmares tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to touch on one thing before we wrap up. When I mentioned earlier that you know, Anthe's in trouble, she's praying, and then the power of Dios descends. I wonder if that is, like, something that she controls as the Rose Bride. When she is in danger, she can call down the power of Dios to save her. 
um, in the form of her prince. Um, if that is a subconscious or conscious reaction, if that is the dueling arena or Dios interceding on her behalf when she's in danger, or if it was Utena calling on that power in some way. I don't know, but we're getting close to the end of the show, and I really hope that that's touched on in some way, because we've established Anthe has a tie, a direct connection and manipulation of the magical realism in this world, and I just want to know how deep that fucking rabbit hole goes. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know that we have a clear answer to that. Yet. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, yet. So the duel ends. The next scene is, again, that same bench on the water and Jury and Ruka talking. And Jury says, I told you before, keep your hands off Shiori. And she asks him again what he's after and what he's doing. And he just doesn't answer her. He says one other thing to her, though, right? Something along the lines of, you understand more than anyone else why I'm doing this. Yeah. and Because, like, Ruka says that Shiori chose her fate with all of this. Like, she, he won't let Jury believe that this was all him and his manipulations. Like, he's like, no, Shiori was in on fucking you over. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... He does agree to keep quiet and says that you understand that better than anyone. And I think he's taking a dig here at the fact that she's keeping her sexuality a a secret. Yeah. Oh, maybe they had like a, like a closeted, a weird closeted, like I see you moment (laughs) that jury didn't quite understand. I don't know. Cause maybe that's where like the gender piece comes into play for Ruka is like, yeah, I, I understand, like, you know, why you're closeted. So am I. Maybe. We'll see. So what's your prediction for next time? I wrote down some interesting lines from the preview about outsiders can never understand. And Anthe specifically saying the meaning of love varies from person to person. And it was almost like in a you can't really judge love kind of way. And it's like, "Mm, Anthony, yes, we can. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I think Jury's going to get the courage to challenge Ruka because it looked like she moved in on him. So I know like almost every duel has Utena playing a part of it. I would love, though, I would love to see Jury and Ruka smacking it down. I want to see her win against him. Okay. I would, I just love watching her duel. (laughs) (laughs) So we do have a listener mail from James. Okay. But because this is about jury, I'm going to say like, James, we got your email, but we're going to do it next time because it's going to be more relevant with the context of next episode. So you got it to us just in time for this to be talked about, but I'm going to save it for next time. Perfect. And if you want to send in more fan mail and of course, tinfoil hat conspiracy theories, you can always do so at absolute destiny, a podcast at gmail.com. And of course our Twitter too, which is Zetai Unme pod. And 
If you want to uh, tweet at us directly or follow us on different social media platforms, um, I am at CarCutie. And I am at Life in Neon. And we will see you next time. Ta-da!